Welcome to Everybody Has Shit. I'm Kim Reed. This podcast is an open invitation to put your wellness on another level. You no longer have to keep your autoimmune disease or whatever it is that's holding you back a secret. Secrets hurt us. Everybody has shit, so let's all get better together. Let's all try to overcome the challenges we are facing and live our best life. So this is a very cool office, first of all. I'd like to actually move in. I think this is where John and I would like to do every single show. But we're with the CEO of EvoFem, Sandra Peltier. Yes. Did I say that right? Yes, you okay, did. Good. And you, I saw you speak at an event here locally. It's called Padres Pedal the Cause, where money is raised. We're in San Diego, and it's raised, and all the money goes into research. And you told your story. Holy hell. <laughs> and this was probably two years ago. This was at the Taibis house. Yes. And it was unbelievable. It was riveting. So you were standing there. Your hair was very, very short. I think it was just growing in because you had discovered that, that I had. you had cancer. Yes. Can you tell us a little bit about that story? Because for you to be able to stand there and share all of that, it just seems so fresh. Thank you. Thank you for saying that. So it was actually an experience that I'm sure it changes everyone forever. But for me, I had no family history of cancer. I had no genetic predisposition and I had had a clean mammogram the year before. And my whole life has been spent in healthcare. So you would think I would take it very seriously, not just healthcare, by the way, but women's healthcare. Right. So I had a clean mammogram, and honestly, I would joke with people that I was going to be immortal. And then I found out that I had aggressive, late-stage breast cancer to the point where when I was called, I was so shocked when my OBGYN first contacted me. I said to her, look, I am not gonna tell anybody, but this is one of those times when you have the wrong patient chart. Mm -hmm. There is no chance you are mm -hmm. calling the right person. And she said, Sondra, that kind of denial is gonna kill you. And three weeks later, I had a double mastectomy, followed by six months of chemo, and then I had to have my ovaries and my uterus removed because we were so worried that it was such an aggressive cancer. And what, what was so, the big shocking part, not just cancer, is that when you think about your life and you wonder like, what were these daily sins or these invisible things that I did with no family history yeah. and no genetic predisposition. How and, do you pinpoint that? Where do you go? Yes, and by the way, and, and, and no symptoms. Yeah. No symptoms. Yeah. So that's what I think was really, it really gobsmacked I mean, what me. the hell? Right? And you think, oh my goodness. Now the one thing since that time is that I have spent a lot of time kind of thinking about the things that I did. The one thing I did do is use hormonal contraception for 20 years. Mm -hmm. And you know, there, there's no solid proof of that's exactly what it was. But the one thing I can tell you is that once you have cancer, my kind of cancer, estrogen receptive cancer, you can't use hormones anymore and you can't use hormonal contraception anymore. And it was a really, really also interesting time because during this, I was the CEO of a publicly traded company that I had worked my whole life for to get to that point. Yeah. You know, clawed my way up the right. corporate ladder to get to this place to really be the decision maker. You know, and I truthfully clawed my way to the top because I wanted to make better decisions for women, frankly. But then the fact that I thought I could lose it all. 
everything because I thought my board is going to try to be these responsible human beings and they're going to insist that I take a medical leave of absence so that I can heal and get better. But the one thing that I loved, you know, my son is what I love the most. And second was this company that I have put everything in. But so wait, I have to stop yeah. you. So when you got that call. Yes. Okay. Shock, devastation, yes. all of it. But then what, what was your next move? I mean, if you're responsible for this company that you're raising hundreds of millions of dollars for, what, 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 what helped you to come up with your next move? The first thing I did, I have to say that I don't know if this is the experience for other patients, but you know when you see those movies where something's happening and it's like wah, 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 like warp speed where you're just sitting there, like everything is so distorted and all I kept thinking in my mind was, what is my plan? What is my plan? What is my plan? Who am I gonna call? What am I gonna do? Who am I gonna activate? Who are my people? Who's gonna help me get through this? And the one thing throughout my life, I I would tell you I was lucky, I was raised by a woman who probably should have been a general in the military. She used to say when I was little, boom, boom, boom. Yeah, oh, well, she used to say, you have 24 hours to feel sorry for yourself, and that's it. After 24 hours, we're done. We're gonna shake it off, we're gonna compartmentalize it, and we're gonna move on. And she used to say things to me like, I don't know why you're spending so much time thinking about them. They're not spending any time thinking about you. Mm-hmm. These sobering comments she mm-hmm. made to me my whole life, right, that it still played into my head. And, but they're true, yeah. right, they're true. Yeah. And so at that moment, I thought to myself, okay, you have to keep yourself together, yeah. and you have so many, so much responsibility that's not a burden, not burdensome responsibility, chosen responsibility, right? Yeah. right? So what are you gonna do? So the first call I made was to my mother. And so what did your mother say? She was very, very stoic and very calm, and she said to me, have you, um, she didn't say formulate, she said, do you have a plan? And I said, I, my first plan was to call you and I need you to come here and I need you to be Ford's person. Ford is my son. I am going to be my own person. I'm going to handle it, but I need somebody to help him because I can't be there for him in the way that I am. So I need to know that you're going to come and you're going to come now because once I tell him, so I need you to come because I'm a single parent. I need you to come and be his rock and I need you to come and I need you to be here. So you're on first base with him. So check box one. Mm-hmm. She's coming, she's getting on a plane, she's on first base with okay. him. Then my second call was my chief of staff, Ellen. And I said, Ellen, here's what we're gonna do. Here's what's happened. And a poor Ellen, she started crying. And she said, what is going on? And I said, Ellen, you have to stop crying. We have to go into serious robot mode now. We're gonna compartmentalize this. And we've gotta figure out how I'm gonna communicate this to the board. We have to get my narrative down. So right away? Yes. Yes. Right away, there's no hesitation, no secrets, no walls going up. No. You were just fully exposed. Yes, and I, I will tell you this. The one lesson that I had learned through so many failures and so many hardships, and I mean, a life of so many twists and turns, was that the one thing that I knew that made me the best at managing my life was radical transparency. That I have to tell you that all of the... I am better when I am just out there. No, no boundaries, no filters. I mean, and I have to be honest, some people don't like that at all, but I am like frontal nudity, you know, and I, I, I needed it to, so that everybody knew, but that everybody knew it wasn't that 
don't cry for me Argentina, right? It wasn't that I wanted their empathy or sympathy, it's that here's the plan. So you know that that goes against the grain of most people, of what we're taught. Like I was taught to be quiet, to be keep everything a secret. Don't tell people what you're doing or where you're going. And as a kid, when you're conditioned this way, walls go up, People, you, you don't allow people in. That's an extreme, but I think most people kind of seek shelter. So what you're doing is against, I think, what most people are taught and know how to do. Very that much. Was, that just seemed like it was your automatic Yes, my response. response. Like that's what it was. Yes. Yeah. And by the way, so many women, by the way, more women than men, to be honest, so many women that I have talked to and met with, I've done tons of qualitative and quantitative market research from puberty to menopause. Honestly, and I joke with men trying to answer the question, Sigmund Freud's question, what do women want? And so a lot of men like to have dinner with me so I can tell them the answers. But, <laughs> <laughs> but you know, and they spend a lot of money telling me that. No, but, but I really have spent years, and what was so, the majority of women, to your point, were raised to be pleasers and mediators and martyrs, and they put themselves second. And they never made it on their own to-do list. They never made it on their own priority list because they had to handle for everybody else. And never did they talk about their pain or their sadness. And they had a stiff upper lip. And it was amazing that these women would shoulder it. And it, it was, you're so right. You are so right. And, and I'm telling you, all of this stuff that women, if we could take back their skin, you would see extraordinary bruises and lumps, right? They have yeah. such a strong backbone. It's amazing. Very when, strong. I'm sorry, go ahead. When, when you're a leader and you're in the forefront of things, like you said, you're running a company, you are a person who is seen as being strong and being built upon strength. When you have something like this happen to you, not necessarily from a, being a weakness, but you have something that has dented you as a person, where do you go inside when something like that happens? Because it's easy to be out in public and to be the normal person who you are. But when you go home, you're sleeping with this. Yeah. You are showering with it when you wake up. Before you go to breakfast with your son, it's with you. How did you deal with those times? Yeah, that is a profound and interesting question. Mm -hmm. Because for me, I very early on was taught, and perhaps this could be viewed as dysfunctional or functional. I was taught the power and the strength and the ability to compartmentalize. And what I mean by that is, is that I was taught how to compartmentalize painful things, that you create these doors in your mind that you choose. So you're walking down a hallway and you have doors. And anything painful, you put in the door and you shut the door, only you have the key. You can choose to never open the door again. You can open it every day. You can open it several times That's a day. hard. I know, but by choice, but for me, what I found was I had this incredible refuge in being alone. I really have learned mm. to master the joy of, of being alone and being introspective. And meditating is very hard because I'm very hyper you know, by <laughs> nature, but it's very hard. But I would force myself to meditate and really be thoughtful, but mostly around the power of my intention and my soul and what I believed I was capable of. Because, you know, I've always heard this funny joke, and I can't remember whoever said it, was that a woman went to her doctor and said, the doctors told me I was going to die, but my mother told me I was going to be fine, so I believed my mother. You know what I mean? So for me, yeah. you know, and, but I will tell you that to your point about being a leader, the one thing that happened after I was diagnosed, I decided I'm against death by a thousand cuts, right? And by the way, I have been written up 
a million times in my life in HR reviews that I am too transparent, I give too much information, and it's not appropriate, and I and I they just keep writing me up and right. writing me up and writing me up. And so honestly, I called an all-company meeting a couple weeks later, and I told my executive team first, and then I called an all-company meeting, and I said, I just wanted you to know, because we had we had a whole bunch of things to cover. I just want you to know that over time, you're gonna see some changes in me because I have been diagnosed with cancer and I am not only gonna fight it, I'm gonna conquer cancer, but the one thing I need you to know is that we don't wanna give cancer energy. We don't wanna give cancer any energy and any thought. We, it's very important that we recognize that when I go to chemo, I'm going to chemo because chemo's helping me kill cancer and chemo has impacts on the rest of my body, but at the end of the day, it's helping me kill cancer. So I need to ask all of you that I don't wanna talk about it. We don't wanna say cancer. We don't wanna give it any airtime. We don't want it to have any discussion. We don't want cancer to get any more attention than it's already gonna have in my physical deterioration. But in the end, I'm gonna be back and it's gonna be great and I would just like to ask you to have business as usual. And I said, look, I, I know that you all care about me in the way that I care about you, but I need you to power through it. And no sad eyes, and don't feel sorry for me, and no sad cards, and no gifts, nothing. It's business as usual. No give better balloons. And I, right, and I said, the best thing you can do for me is to pretend that I'm completely fine. That is unbelievable. Well, because you can take that and apply that to everything. Yes, it's so I true. I mean, honestly. Yes. Because, you know, there are moments when you feel bad that you don't want to see anybody or do anything, but you have to, you, you have to figure out a way every day to get up and have your best life. Yes. Every day. And the days that you feel good, <clears throat> and Browner knows, when I don't feel good, when you do feel good, you really appreciate it and acknowledge it. So much so. But to be able to compartmentalize it like that, that's a gift. Well, I will tell you this. It's a gift because somehow you knew to do that. Well, the one thing in the art of compartmentalization, the one thing that you're supposed to teach yourself is that you have to figure out, you have to try to figure out the lesson. Not a profound lesson like, oh my God, what would Socrates think the lesson right. is? It's the lesson for you. And you have to be so rawly honest, right? We, we, our negative talk and our bullshit talk in our heads. I don't know if I can say bullshit on you this podcast. You want, I'm sorry about that. Okay. But you know, we have all kinds of bullshit that yeah. we play, the excuses that we make, the excuses we give for other people, the justification. So the art of compartmentalization is it's no bullshit. So I'll give you an example. So even though I was shocked, and even though I didn't have a family history and no genetics, the truth of it was is that I was living a life outside of the rails. I was sleeping two, maybe three hours a night. I was drinking cocktails to manage my stress, maybe five, maybe six nights a week. I was not exercising. I I literally didn't, some days I didn't even eat. Yeah. I didn't eat at all, no food, because I was working all the time. When I wasn't working, I was with my son. And I was, I was acting like, I was not honoring my vessel, like I wasn't, my vehicle mm -hmm. that I walk around in. I was treating my body like garbage. And now it wasn't that I was eating at McDonald's, I wasn't right. eating at all, okay? Now, I knew I was doing all of this. I was doing it consciously, I was doing it actively, I was doing it every single day of every single week of every single month. And I was thinking, 
Nothing bad's happening. I can do it. Totally fine. Yeah. But as a as a woman in a, in a corporate industry that you were in, did you feel the need to pull more weight? Did you feel the need to work more hours? Did you feel the need to burn the candle at both ends, so to speak, because you were trying to carry something that doesn't often happen. Women don't run a lot of companies in this country just because of the way that the male hierarchy exists. And in business, it's far worse because those rooms are not publicized. And so when a woman reaches a stature like that, did you feel extra to, to, to work more? And maybe it, did that play a part in burning oh, you out? You know what's really... Like, do you live in my head? What's going on? <laughs> no, hey, I'm just Who listening. are you? What's going on? John Browner. I'm listening. John Browner, you're freaking me out. No. I'm, I'm listening to you, and I, it, it's hard for me to really communicate some of the things when I can hear them, but I understand from a black man's perspective what it's like to try to be successful in a country where the success doesn't match your image. And I think a lot of times, men don't really admit this, but women and black people black women have it a little bit worse, but men, black men and, and women in general are really in the same fight because it's the idea that you can't do the job for something that you are, have no control over. I have no control over that I was born black. You have no control that you were born, you were born a woman. So why do you have to work extra hard? Why would I have to work extra hard? Simply because of what I was born that I didn't have a choice to be. And so when you say that you were, you were working these hours and you weren't eating, and you were drinking a little more than you were comfortable with. And the, these things sound familiar to me because I've had to do a lot of those things as well, work harder, be seen wearing many hats because of the, the things that I did not choose. I chose the profession I chose. I did not choose to be in the skin that I'm in. And so I hear you when you speak like that because I'm, I'm understanding it from the same situation. Well, and I will tell you, you know, we all have these chips, right, on our shoulders, mm -hmm. all this stuff. And for me, I've had these, you know, these chips that I decided. So I came from a place that literally is the northernmost city you can fly to from San Diego, right? A place called Caribou, Maine, on the border of New Brunswick, Canada. Very, very, very high level of poverty, domestic violence. I came from a place that was, I mean, when I say meager, I'm talking meager personified. And I had a chip on my shoulder that none of my family went to college. My parents worked two and three jobs. I had a chip on my shoulder always because as I was street smart, when you grew up in a place like that, my mother had 12 brothers and sisters. I started picking potatoes when I was six years old. I mean, I grew up in a school of hard knocks, right? And, but that teaches you something, right? Mm -hmm. And as I would go up the corporate ladder, what I found was is that I was very tough and I was tough um, and I was disciplined and I knew that showing toughness versus femininity was a power, was a power tool. It was a power tool going up the corporate ladder, mm -hmm. but the chips on my shoulder were about that I didn't have a great education. I mean, I went to the, I, mean, I didn't even know that life existed beyond the county line. Right. So I went to a I didn't have a great education. I didn't come from a good background. I didn't have I didn't know about things. I didn't know about clothes or travel. I'd never been anywhere. I was like, so Ellie you May. felt that that was um, that you were lesser. Oh, very because much. Of that. And, and everybody that it seemed that I got promoted with, they yeah. had traveled the world. They had this. They had that. Like, I can remember things like I, I, I didn't know how to pick anything. 
like wine or even use sushi. Like it was like, and I faked everything, right? Every day I was an actress. Every day I got up and faked it all. They thought that I was born in Beverly Hills, California, because that's what I looked like, right? Yeah. Because I, by the way, tried very hard to look like that, mm -hmm. right? I tried everything to look like I belonged. Like I belonged because I always felt like I didn't belong. And not because I wasn't smart enough, but because I came from, and I, by the way, and I lied where I came, I, I pretended I didn't come from here. And not only that, this might sound really shameful. Um, I've now put a very positive spin on this narrative, by the way. But when I left Maine and I left college and I left the state, I grew up and my birth name was Sandra, S-A-N-D-R-A. And I decided I didn't want to be her anymore. I didn't like where she came from. I didn't like all the things that happened to her in that town. And I didn't want to be her. Now, but I thought that it would hurt my mother's heart, who I loved, that if I changed it really big. So I changed my name to Sandra. So S-A-U, and I remember calling my mother and I said, I'm changing my name. She says, <laughs> what are you changing it to? She said, well, what's it gonna be now? And I said, well, I was thinking about Jade, but I decided I'm gonna make it Sandra. She That's goes, his daughter's name. Is it? Mm -hmm. Jade. Oh, I love that name. Oh, you see, we are connected. Something's going on. Yeah. So, so I said, I was gonna be Jade. And I said, but I'm gonna make it Sandra. And she said, okay, great. Well, I'll just call you Sandra from now on. Like that was it. I'll just call you Sandra from now on. That was easy. Right? And I was like, hmm, that was like good. And, uh, and, and as strange as this sounds, it was that I wanted, I, I really mean this, I needed her to die and go away. And as simple as adding a letter in my name, I needed to be somebody new. Did it make a difference? Yes. Crazy. Psychological, completely. You know, people get married, they change their name. I don't know if that changes them or not. But it made a difference. But then it was almost like something happened to me where I decided I was going to lean into my shame. I was going to, I stopped being ashamed of where I came from. I stopped being ashamed that I had this school of hard knocks. I stopped being ashamed because I decided that I was going to use it to my advantage. And I would sort of joke like, you know, look, we can argue here or I can take you outside and beat the shit out of you if you want, whatever you prefer. And people would be like, what the hell is wrong with her? Yeah. Like we're in a business environment. Like we're wearing a suit. Like what is she talking about? Yeah. What the hell? Where is she? Like just kind of kidding, like a joke, you know yeah. what I mean? But people were like, she is crazy, right? And so that, I found a way for it to suit me. Mm -hmm. Where people were like, I was like, listen, I'm not to be trifled with. Like, mm -hmm. you know, and, and, and not in a crazy, but a little bit crazy, just a little tiny bit, but it helped. But the original you gave you the character. Totally. The original you, yep. the, the person who you were trying to not be anymore was yep. actually the person that got you to where you wanted to be. For sure. And that's really the thing that we, where when you grow up not having things and you real you see these things you have, like you said, you had be, be going around these people. You didn't know how to order wine. You didn't know how to hold chopsticks. Those things would have been embarrassing to the original person that you were. Yes. Because you were trying to fit in with these other things who you thought they had what you wanted. But what you realized, because, again, we are having this weird thing here, you were already what you wanted. You just didn't realize it. You had to have these experiences to realize, wait a minute, that person who I was running from, that person is way better than knowing this person who I know how to use chopsticks or knows the Chanel or, or Prada, like the, the difference between the two. And, and, and that it's freeing. Yes. It's freeing. It's so freeing. It really, but I will tell you this, being a woman and having this responsibility, there are not a lot of women that run publicly traded companies, not a lot of women that do it in the pharmaceutical industry. Yeah. And the one thing that I, and you're right, I worked harder because it wasn't that I had that fraud complex that people talk about that, that I didn't think I was good enough to do the job. It was that I was 
so worried that we needed to achieve goals fast enough, right? We had to do it fast enough. We had to get there fast enough. We had to get there faster. And that if I didn't work as fast as I could, that something might get taken away, right? As fast mm -hmm. as I could, as fast as I could, or I would lose it. Something would be taken from me. And even today, I will tell you the thing that, and this is a little, you know, I, I chose this, so this is a, but there are so many haters on social media. Oh. I, I mean, haters that they say things about me, okay, and it's anonymous, right? Yeah. You know, no one knows who they are. They've got a lot of courage, right, behind their anonymous name. They say things that I think, who raised you? Mm -hmm. What the heck, right? Do you, li you don't listen to that stuff, though. Well, Does I, it I, there was a period of time when I looked at it, and it was just, I, it was just, you can't, it's just soul crushing. I mean, yeah. the stuff that they would say about me and then my son. Yeah. And I thought you depraved monsters. Like I thought if I had your mother's phone number, like I, I mean, you to yourself like, what is wrong with you? There are a lot of people with badass thumbs and really weak hands. <laughs> and that's the, that's, they, they can do this all day. But when yeah. you actually, you confront these people, I didn't say that. Oh, that wasn't me. Or just some burner account. It, 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 sitting here, it's interesting because the two of you have a lot in common, but it's just different paths. Because you're a leader when it comes to, to, to industry. This person here can lead anybody. And she does it from her heart. And it's, and, it's, and it's so great to see this interview happening because a person who does what she does oftentimes doesn't get a lot of credit. The person who brings people together in a silent way, in a... Yeah. I, I know uh, Kim. Yeah. It's like, wait, you know Kim? Well, I know Kim. Well, oh, that's great. And so then those two people start talking, and then she just goes to meet somebody else. And, and the chain in which that she's beginning to link people, not only with this podcast, but through her life's work, it, it's so great to see you two being able to have this conversation and talk about things like this. But you know the thing that I have to say about you two and your beginnings is that you're, you can't help where you're from but you can help who you become mm -hmm. and I write that at the top of our page that when we communicate and and that's the beauty of where you came from so yeah. you know maybe our life experiences can allow us to reflect back and say who gives a shit yes you know? I agree instead of trying to create something that really doesn't matter but we don't know that because Look, we're all trying to survive in this world yeah. in the best way that we can. And it's not easy. Yes, it's true. It's, it's true. not easy to do what we want to do and to do the things that you have done. So let's talk a little bit okay. about your industry okay. and what you've brought to the table because it's life-changing. And, you know, I had a daughter who was on... And, and I talked to you about this, and you probably don't remember because everybody loved your, your, your talk, but when you said that you were behind a contraceptive that was hormone-free, I was like, what? My daughter was, I think at the time, like 17 or 16, having so many problems with the pill. And when you said this, I was like, oh, my God, you've got to be kidding. It's about time. Yes. Yeah, well, How is that possible that we don't have more options because it's for women? Yes. And, you know, okay, so birth control was introduced in the U.S. in 1960, okay? So I want you to imagine this. Right now in the United States, so there's 18 categories of contraception, 18, okay? There are so many choices, pills, patches, IUDs, rings, and still half of all pregnancies are unplanned. Half are unintended. And so our product, and you ready? We are the only product 
in women's health, the only contraceptive that has no hormones, no systemic side effects that you use on demand. So only when you have sex. And so here's what's so crazy about this, okay? Women are asked to take something every day of every week of every month, year after year. Most young women go on the birth control pill or hormonal contraceptive, 16 or 17 years old. And then they just stay on it. Right? And it's then easy, you forget it, and, and you're like, oh, shit. Right? And by the way, a lot of young women that now I talk to, they say, you know what, I was put on an antidepressant. I was put on an anti-anxiety product. And then, once somebody looked at my hormone levels and recognized that it was my birth control that was making me feel this way, and I got off of my birth control, then I got off of my antidepressant. I got off of my anti-anxiety product. And then, but a lot of women think, well, I thought it was perfectly fine. I mm -hmm. thought it was totally fine to take. And you think like you're putting a synthetic hormone in your body. Because we're not taught the importance of the hormone. That's right. We don't, we're not educated I know. in that. Well, and we should be. Yes, because women don't have sex every day. Imagine this. I say, look, I say, would a man take something every day? Whoa, whoa. No, no, no. Whoa, no, this God. is getting saucy. No, we don't. Whoa, okay. So, but think about this. <laughs> would a man take something every day that he didn't need to save his life if he was having headaches and waking and bloating and not feeling like himself? It, the idea that women are asked to do that every day if they're suffering from side effects is insane to me. Mm -hmm. Men would be fat. And out of shape. Yes. And, 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 and all of moody, the above. And, and right? moody. And they'd say, who cares? But the one crazy part, so, think of, so right now, listen to this statistic. 23 million women in the U.S. right now say, no way in hell. I've, I already, I've suffered. I've tried pills. I've tried patches. I've tried IUDs. And I'm done. I am beyond hormones. 23 million women. So that's our target audience, to say to these women that, look, and I joked and I said, listen. If you're doing yoga and you're riding your Peloton and you're eating healthy and organic and you're meditating, but then you're taking a hormone birth control every day, why don't you smoke a pack of cigarettes and swig some whiskey? It doesn't make any but sense. Somebody, no. But I mean, somebody needs to say that. You're saying that, that we need to hear that because yes. here's the deal. We're in, a, we're in a society now, a world with podcasts and social media where we can gain and learn so much about anything that we want to. Yes. It's there, we need to learn about this stuff. Yes, well, okay, so here's very quick, and I won't be too verbose about this, but the product's called Fexi, but it's spelled P-H-E-X-X-I. Which I love the name. So thank you, but it's not just because it rhymes with sexy. sexy. Even though that helps, <laughs> it helps, it helps. Yeah. But here's how it works. So a woman's, most women, their vaginal pH is 3.5 to 4.5. That's it. When semen goes in, your pH rises to seven or eight, you get pregnant. When chlamydia goes in, it rises to seven or eight, you get chlamydia, same thing with gonorrhea. Our product is acid buffering. So all it does is help you maintain normal vaginal pH. That's it, it's that simple. It was developed by Rush University in Chicago. And originally it was developed to be a vehicle to try to do a study for HIV prevention. And then they recognized that those studies were very hard and complicated, but they also recognized that it had these properties beyond contraception, that it would protect against other things. So we're approved today for non-hormonal birth control, but we're in a phase three clinical study, an investigational study for the prevention of chlamydia and gonorrhea. And in the second quarter of next year, we're going to have our readout from our phase three study. So, so go. How do you go about the campaign of educating women on their own health. Because I know as a man, oftentimes, if my back hurt, I won't tell nobody. Let alone something on the inside from, from a woman's perspective that would hurt that she just wouldn't tell anybody. I couldn't imagine taking something for 30 years 
and just now I'm taking it just kind of out of routine. Yes, and but so, it's just like people who smoked. They yeah. smoked through pregnancy. Yeah, I mean, right. back in, in mm -hmm. the day, nobody said, hey, this is bad for you. So, but now we know that a lot of the foods we eat are bad because they're loaded with chemicals. Fish are loaded with microplastics yeah. and mercury uh, because now we're getting this information. So I would imagine it's the same thing. It is. Now well, we what's extraordinary now is that women, I have to tell you, we are in an era now where they are saying, not only do I want to know about my body and how it works, but I don't have any shame about it. Now, some women exactly. still, don't get me wrong, but they're saying, you know what? I, and not only that, so at first I thought, so I, I did this talk with this group of women and I said, well, the product is so discreet. It's a simple little applicator. You insert it and you throw away the applicator and then you're done. You can go out and have pleasure. And all of these women said, what? We're going to have our partner insert it. We're going to do it with the lights on. We don't need to go hide in the bathroom. And I was like, woohoo, yeah. right? That's awesome. It is. Yeah. We have to be able to talk about it and not be ashamed of it. I right. mean, there's so you many know. myths. And we all got here because two exactly. people had sex. Yeah. Thanks.